Amen. Thank you so much, Cherish and Band, for leading us in this meaningful time of worship where we praise the Lord for all that he is. Amen. Well, um, some of you know that many years ago, I lived in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, when we were living there, our family had this pizza parlor um, that we like to go to in downtown Fort Worth, and it's one of those Chicago-style deep-dish pizza places, and we really liked it. And I particularly liked it because they had good lunch specials, so whenever I had a meeting with someone, we would go and meet for lunch, and you'd get a, a personal pizza and a salad for under $10. It was eight-something, uh, if I remember correctly. And so I would have meetings there, and we'd have lunch, and have good food, and um, and so one day I went with uh, the youth pastor from the church I was pastoring there, and his name was Tiny Dominguez, and we were having lunch, and and uh, and so the, the server came and she asked me what kind of dressing I would like for my salad, and I said Caesar, and so she brought me a Caesar salad, and and it was really good, and and then she brought me the pizza I ordered, and it was really good, and I like sparkling water, and this was before Topo Chico was so famous, so I. I ordered some kind of off-brand uh, uh, sparkling water and it's a little bottle and, and I finished it and then she said, would you like another one? I said, sure. So she brought me a second one and I just really had a good time until she brought the check because I knew how much the lunch special was and that's what I was prepared to pay. But uh, when she showed me the check, uh, it had a 70 cent upcharge for dressing and, uh, and I said, yeah, I said, why did you charge me 70 cents extra for the dressing? I was expecting to pay this amount. And she said, well, you order Caesar uh, dressing, and, uh, and that's an upcharge. And I said, well, you didn't tell me that. I mean, you should have told me there was an upcharge. I would have had ranch or something else, you know, because I'm like that. And, uh, and uh, so she said, sir, would you like me to change it? And I said, I think that would be the right thing. And so she said, okay. So she took the check. She went back and brought me a revised check. And then I noticed that the, the revised check was higher than the first one. <laughs> and I looked at it and I realized she had upcharged me for the dressing, but she only charged me for one sparkling water the first time. So the second time she put the second sparkling water, which was like 275. And I looked at the bill and I looked at her and I said, touche. Sometimes we want justice, but what we really need is mercy. When Jesus shared his vision of what his disciples should be like, he highlighted mercy. In fact, he highlighted mercifulness. In Matthew 5, 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Jesus is commending those disciples who are merciful and then he offers them a promise. They will be shown mercy. They will experience that mercy that they extend. We're in a series that we've called the Beatitudes of Disciples Distinctives and we've been going over these eight sayings of Jesus that start with the word blessed. It is Jesus' vision of what a disciple should become if he's transformed by the power of the gospel. 
that someone that enters the kingdom of God will be changed in such a way that they will display these characteristics. They, they would be distinguished as disciples. And so he gives them a picture of what that's going to look like eventually. I believe car makers, when they're putting all the parts together in the assembly line, have a vision of what the car is going to look like at the other end of the assembly line. It's supposed to look like a car that's ready to be sold at the dealership, although there's not a whole lot of those cars right now. You know, when you're in the kitchen and you're mixing ingredients to prepare a dish, you have a vision of what that dish should look like when you serve it. It doesn't always end up like that. I think there's something in Pinterest that lies to us. But, but you have a vision of what it should become. And Jesus gives uh, his disciples a vision of what they're going to become as they let the power of the Holy Spirit work in their lives. And so we've, we've looked at these. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who are broken. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the hungry. And today we are looking at blessed are the merciful it's not a list of rules. This is not a list of New Year's resolutions that you should be working on come January. It is a result of the gospel in our lives. It is about believing and then becoming. It is in the faith in Jesus that we become. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now let me share a couple of things that strike me as I look at this uh, and I think could be helpful to you. The first one is that God's nature exhibits mercy. Jesus commends the merciful because God is merciful. Mercy flows from the nature of God. Now God has many attributes. He's holy and he's just and he's sovereign and he's wise and he's loving and he's kind and he's faithful, but he's also merciful. And in many ways, the Bible is a story about God's mercy. When the Hebrew people were under the oppression of the Egyptians, they cried out to God and in his mercy, God heard their cry. And he, and he it caused a leader to rise up by the name of Moses who, who would lead them out of that oppression, of that slavery. And every step of the way, every plague, every, every step, from Egypt to the promised land, God demonstrated his ability to liberate his people, to provide for his people. But in the journey from the beginning, they lacked faith. They criticized, they complained, they grumbled along the way. And God could have destroyed them. God could have given up on them. He could have abandoned them. But every time that they repented, he forgave them because he's merciful. They complain that they didn't have anything to eat, so God sent manna from heaven, fresh made corn tortillas. And then they complain they didn't have any meat, and so he sent quail. So now they had quail fajita tacos. And then they complained that they didn't have water, and so God made water come out of a rock. Every time they crumbled, every time they complained, God provided for them because our God is a God of mercy. 
when they got to Mount Sinai and, and Moses went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone. This was a culminating moment for the people of Israel. It was the moment where God would establish his covenant. I will be your God and you will be my people. This is the kind of God I am and this is the kind of people I want you to be. And so as Moses is up in the mountain experiencing the presence and the glory of God, the people are down at the bottom and, and they get impatient and they melt their jewelry into a golden calf, and they worship the calf. Moses comes down, and, and he's disappointed, he's upset, he, he breaks the stone tablets, and God wants to be done with his people. And as angry as Moses is at the people, Moses intercedes for his people. Moses prays for his people. Moses tells God, forgive them. This is for your sake, God, because you are a forgiving God, because you are a merciful God. Forgive your people and God forgives them because God is a God of mercy. As they continued on the journey, they continued to grumble against God. They continued to grumble against the leader that God had appointed. And so they were bitten by snakes, poisonous snakes, and they were condemned to die. And, and they realized what they had done and they repented and, and they cried for mercy. And God tells Moses to, to lift up a bronze serpent in the wilderness. And that everyone has been bitten by a snake looks at this bronze ser serpent as an act of provision that God made to, to show his mercy and to announce a future coming act of one that would be lifted up on a tree. And everyone that looked at the serpent was delivered from death because God is a God of mercy. After 40 years and one generation later, God's people arrived in the promised land and as they entered this land that flows with milk and honey, they enjoyed abundance, they enjoyed provision, they enjoyed uh, prosperity, they had a good king like King David. But eventually they began to stray away from God's commandments. They, they, they continued to disobey subsequent kings and subsequent generations rebel against God. They committed idolatry. They committed injustice. They oppressed the poor. They forgot the widow and the orphan. And God brought judgment on them. He brought other nations to, to conquer them and to take them into exile. And there in exile, he was executing judgment. And the prophets, as they lament this, they write the lamentations, the grief of the exile and the judgment of God. But even in the midst of grief, the prophet says that God's people have not been completely destroyed because of the Lord's compassion. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. In the midst of grief, the prophet says, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. God is the God of mercy. Jesus says to his disciples, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Because God is a God of mercy, blessed are the merciful. Secondly, I wanna to say to you that God's children experience mercy. We're in this Advent season that we are anticipating the arrival of Christmas. And it is a way for us to identify with those who first waited for the arrival of the Messiah back in the first century. And we anticipate his return that is still coming. And it is a realization that the coming of Christ to the world was an act of love and mercy. 
when we could not get to God on our own, God came to us. When we could not achieve the holiness that is required to have a relationship with God, God lowered himself and he entered our mess and our brokenness. That's what the Advent is about. That's what Christmas is about. That's what the, that's what the manger is about. It's about a God who was willing to come down and meet us at our lowest level so that he can raise us to the highest plane. That's the kind of message that that brings us. I had the opportunity yesterday to be in Austin, Texas. My youngest son graduated from the University of Texas uh, at Austin as, as a nurse. And, and we were there to, you know, celebrate with him and, and congratulate him. We, we thought about all of the things that have happened over these last four and a half years, including the pandemic and, and an ice storm and all of the ways in which our lives were interrupted and, and how meaningful it was for him to walk across that stage and receive that diploma. And, and uh, as, as he came to the end, uh, I hugged him. I'm a hugger and, and he's bigger than me. He's one of the only people that when I hug, I have to go like this. I just put my arms around him. I whispered in his ear and I said, I'm so proud of you. I'm so thankful for you. You did well. And in return, he, he began to, to just profusely give me thanks. Thanks for being there. Thanks for your financial support. Thanks for your advice. Thank you for your encouragement. And he just kept giving thanks over and over again. And it's nice. It's nice when your children say thank you to you. All of our children are very grateful. And, I, and, and I'm thankful for that because whatever you do for them is all worth it when they just say thank you, when they just know. But, but, but the greatest thanks that we could receive when we invest in our children like that is when we see them be good parents, when we see them be good disciples of Christ, when we see them honor God in their careers, when we see them doing well, that's our thanks, that's our gratitude. And when Jesus comes and he, and he brings mercy to us and he saves us, he doesn't just support us, he rescues us. All of the grace and all of the mercy that was necessary for us to be rescued from sin came from him. And when we say thank you to him, it means a lot. When we say thank you to him, and when we worship God through our singing and through our giving and through our prayers, it means a lot to him. But you know what really means a lot to the Father is do what I did for you for others. I rescued you, I helped you, I forgave you, so I expect you to do the same thing. The manger is an act of mercy and so is the cross. The cross is, is this act of Jesus Christ, that's what he came for. That's, Christmas is not just about a baby, Christmas is about the cross. It's about this huge gap that existed between a holy God and a sinful humanity. And, and, and a son of God who, who spread his arms on the cross to bridge that gap. It's an act of mercy that brings us together with a God who is holy. Have you experienced the mercy of God in your life? Have you received his forgiveness? Have you been rescued from a life of hopelessness, from a life without purpose? I have. When I rebelled against my parents, when I gave my back to God as a young man, I'm glad that in his mercy, God never let me go. When I walked away, God did not let me go. He did not let his eyes off of me. When I did what was wrong, when I, when I hung out with the wrong crowd, God didn't let me go. 
And when I was a 15 year old, I came back and I, and I realized in my brokenness and my, in my heart that was pained with, with the consequences of sin. And I cried with tears in my eyes for mercy. God, forgive me. God, give me a new chance. God, give me a new beginning. God heard my cry. He had mercy on me and he rescued me. He gave me a new opportunity. He gave me a new life. He gave me a new heart. He gave me a new chance. He cleaned the slate clean and I started all over again because he is merciful. I know that God is a God of mercy, not because I read it in a book, but because I've experienced it. I've experienced it in my life. God's mercy saved me. One of the hymns that I learned when I was growing up is, is a hymn that expresses exactly this sense. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. I experienced mercy back then as a teenager and I experience it every day. You know, I want to please God. I want to do the right thing. I want to follow his precepts. I want to be the kind of disciple he wants me to be. But I often fail at it. I often stumble and fall. Thank God that at the end of the day, I can ask forgiveness. That if we confess our sins, he's faithful to, to, to cleanse us and righteous to, to cleanse us and forgive us our sins. Every day, his mercies are new. Every day, there's an opportunity to be forgiven. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, the reality is that God's children were shown mercy before we ever showed mercy. Do you agree? I mean, that's how we become God's children. We didn't become God's children because we had mercy on God. We became his children because he had mercy on us. We love him because he first loved us. And the father expects his children to treat other children with the same mercy. The prophet Micah tells Israel that more than any sacrifice of rams and calves, that God wants his children to reflect his character. Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. There's a lot of regulations about sacrifices and rituals that the Jews should keep and they're important, they had meaning. But God says none of that matters. If you don't act justly, if you don't love mercy, and if you don't walk humbly before me. All of the worship rituals lose their meaning without and they take their meaning with it. In the same Sermon on the Mount, Matthew records these Beatitudes and then he tells his disciples that their worship is not acceptable unless they practice mercy. Just go down the same chapter 5 to verses 23 and 24 and listen to this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. This is talking about worship. And Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to bring worship to me, your, your offering, your song, your giving, your prayers, but you realize when you're about to offer your worship that, that you're not reconciled 
with your brother, that you've not forgiven or asked forgiveness, then put it on pause. Put your worship on pause. Get right and then come back. You know, even if you have to text somebody during the worship services, hey, I need to talk to you. When can we meet? I need to ask you for forgiveness. Or I need to forgive you. Put it on pause. This is not an excuse for you not to worship. This is not an excuse for you not to take communion. This is not an excuse for you not to give or to sing or to pray. This is just an opportunity for you to get right. Put it on pause and then come back and worship. God does not want sacrifices without mercy. He doesn't want our worship without mercy. He doesn't want our prayers without mercy. And thirdly, God's kingdom extends mercy. I believe that mercy is a kingdom currency. You know, God shows us mercy and we show mercy to others and we are shown mercy so that we can show mercy to others and we are shown mercy to And the cycle of mercy continues. One of the commentary writers says in mercy and forgiveness, receiving is bound up with giving. And that's just the nature of mercy and forgiveness. If you receive mercy, then you want to give mercy. If you receive forgiveness, then you want to give forgiveness. They come together, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In that same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasizes this as he teaches his disciples how to pray. That Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, he says in Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. The implication when Jesus teaches us how to pray is, don't you dare ask me for forgiveness unless you're willing to forgive others. And if that's not clear enough, he gives a commentary in verses 14 and 15. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. I think it's really interesting that out of the entire model prayer, that is the only commentary Jesus offers. That's how important this is to him. Or perhaps that's how much we struggle with it. That's why over and over again, Matthew records Jesus' teaching on this. Matthew 9, 13. But go and learn what this means. means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew 12, 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In essence, Jesus says, listen, I'm not impressed with your religious activity. Your religious activity does not prove that you belong to me. People can be religious and not belong to me. The evidence that you belong to me is when you reflect my character. When the character of Jesus is reflected in your life, then it's when it matters. Then it's when your worship and your rituals matter. And you get a sense of how the disciples were were struggling to grasp this concept in a conversation that Jesus has with Peter. Peter's probably thinking about all this teaching on forgiveness and mercy. and, And so he asked Jesus, he says, well, so how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven? 
And I, I can almost see Peter looking at the disciples like, hey, man, that's a pretty good answer, seven. I raised the bar really high. Not twice, not three times, but that perfect number, seven. And, and then Jesus says, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. And I'm pretty sure that Peter kind of lowered it and said, what? 70 times seven? How do I keep track of that? Is it for the same offense or is it for different offenses? How, I mean, where's my calculator so I can keep track? 70 times seven. The point of Jesus is don't keep track. Don't keep a record of wrongs. Because God doesn't keep a record of wrongs against us. When we ask for forgiveness, it's forgiven. It's a race. It starts a new account. He doesn't keep record of wrongs. And so he tells his disciples, don't keep a record. Just forgive. And I'm sure that their faces were bewildered as they were thinking about this. So Jesus says, let me tell them a story. And he tells this story that you find in Matthew 18, 23. Through 35. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation so you can hear it sort of in a fresh way if you're familiar with it. And it reads like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me, I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what the heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Wow. That's how the kingdom of heaven operates. Kingdom citizens have received mercy. Therefore, kingdom citizens should extend mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I wonder how many times I've disappointed God because he knows how much he has forgiven me. He knows how many times he has rescued me. And how many times have I felt to have mercy on someone? Have I been judgmental? Or have I been willing to forgive someone? Have I held a grudge against someone? And, and God says, I've forgiven you so much. And you're holding on to that, really, Julio? Really? And I'm like, that's hard. It's not fair. You know how much they've hurt me? You know how much they're a thorn on my side? It's not easy, God. As if the cross was easy for him. 
The truth is, I cannot be merciful like God, and neither can you. The good news is that God can be merciful through you. You see, the key to becoming merciful is not trying harder, but it is surrendering to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Allowing him to shape you so that you can look like Jesus. It's an act of faith and surrender to him. Not in your own effort, but in his power. When we surrender in complete faith to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he begins to change us from day inside out. Mercy in the first place is a posture from the heart. There's a lot of times and a lot of wisdom that people say, well, what do I do in this situation? And, and there's sit, all kinds of situations that are difficult to tell sometimes. We need wisdom. But it starts with a heart posture of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Someone said a long time ago that holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And I want to say to you today, don't drink poison. Drink from the living water of mercy and let it flow through you. Let it wash you and cleanse you and let it be a blessing to others. Would you stand with me? As you think about God's word today and what God has said to you, how is it that you need to respond today? Maybe the most important thing you need to do today is to receive God's mercy by trusting him as Savior and Lord. You need to open your heart and experience his forgiveness and let him make you a new person. You do that by believing that he died on the cross for all your sins, that he rose from the dead to give you power to live a new life and that he ascended to heaven where he's king and Lord and where he continues to bless you and change you and use you. Maybe that's what you need to do today for the first time in your life. You need to surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. Receive that mercy. Receive that forgiveness. Receive that love. And then if you've already received it, once you've experienced it, then commit to showing others mercy. Commit to, to help those that need help, to forgive those that you need to forgive. Not in your strength, not in your power, but in his power. Father, I thank you today for your word. I thank you today, Father, for Jesus Christ and his call on our lives and that he doesn't leave us to our own means, but that he provides the power to be rescued and to be made new. So today we surrender to you, Father. We want to be merciful people. Help us because it's hard. But we know you already are that, so be that through us. Forgive us when, when we've been judgmental. Forgive us when we've criticized others, when we've held a grudge, when we've been unforgiving, when we've been hateful. Forgive us, Lord, because we know that doesn't honor you. Cleanse us. And as we prepare to celebrate communion, Father, may our hearts be right with you and may they be right with everyone else. They may be people that hate us, that don't like us, but as far as we're concerned, help us to be at peace. Help us to forgive 
and to ask for forgiveness that we may be able to eat the bread and drink the cup knowing that we've received grace and mercy abundant and sufficient. So Lord, work in us for we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to uh, be seated for a moment and as you continue to think about God's mercy and as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper, the children's choir will come and sing a song. Uh, before we take the Lord's Supper, the children's choir will come and they will sing a song of response and as you respond, uh, then we'll prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. <laughs>